Hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast. Now, at Melbourne Heights, we are all about growing closer to God together. And right now, we are growing closer to God by taking a deeper look at some of the stories from Jesus' life. And in this week's sermon, we are going to be taking a closer look at one of Jesus' most well-known teachings, something that we commonly refer to as the Beatitudes. This is where Jesus talks about who is blessed or who is favored by God. And by taking a closer look at who Jesus says is favored by God, we're going to learn a whole lot about who God is and how God is different than us. So let's get straight into this week's sermon. So there's an old hymn in our hymnal that was written more than 150 years ago by someone named Benjamin Hanby. And it's a hymn that I personally have grown to love. Now, I don't love this hymn because it has some fabulously catchy tune. The truth of the matter is I think it's a little slow, uh, at least for my personal taste. And I don't love this hymn because it's one of the more popular hymns in our hymnal. This is no Amazing Grace or Old Rugged Cross. The truth of the matter is, most of us sitting in this room probably are unaware that this hymn even exists. So why is it that I love this particular hymn that was written more than 150 years ago? Well, the reason why I love this hymn is because it hits at the heart of what we've been talking about at Melbourne Heights over the last several weeks. And whenever I read this hymn, whenever I hear it sung or performed, it makes me think about who Jesus is. Is. So just listen to the words that Benjamin Hanby writes in his hymn, Who is He in Yonder Stall? He writes, Who is He in Yonder Stall, at whose feet the shepherds fall? Who is He in deep distress, fasting in the wilderness? Who is He the people bless for His words of gentleness? Who is He to whom they bring all their sick and sorrowing? Who is he that stands and weeps at the grave where Lazarus sleeps? Who is he, the gathering throng, meet with loud triumphant song? Lo, at midnight, who is he that prays in dark Gethsemane? Who is he on yonder tree who dies in grief and agony? Who is he that from the grave comes to heal and help and save? Who is he that from his throne rules through all the world alone? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This is the question that we've been asking around this church over the last several Sundays as we've gathered together in worship. And more importantly, this is a question that we, as people of faith, need to return to time and time again. We need to think about who Jesus really is. So we've talked about this. We've talked about who Jesus is, and we've read about events from his life to help us better understand who Jesus is. So he spent some time thinking about his visit from the wise men and what they, that visit teaches us about who Jesus is. We've talked about his baptism. We've talked about him calling his first disciples. And along the way, as we've explored these different stories and teachings of Jesus, we've learned a little bit more about who he is. But this week, I realized that there's one thing that we haven't done Yet, when we've come together and we've asked this question, who is Jesus? The thing that we haven't done up to this point is, I haven't asked you, who is Jesus to you? Because here's the thing. 
Whenever we come together inside of the sanctuary and gather together for worship week after week, month after month, year after year, we all bring our own ideas and images about who Jesus is with us when we come into this place. So this morning, I want to take some time and let you think about who Jesus is to you. Now, to help you do that, I'm going to ask you a few questions along the way. And when you hear these questions, I want you to really think about the question I just asked. Because I know how our brains work, and I know that we have the tendency that your mind's probably going to wander to the grocery list for the shopping you may need to do this afternoon, or you're going to think about where you're going to go to lunch when church wraps up. But what I want you to do is really focus in on these questions that I'm asking you. Now, I don't want you to answer them out loud or anything like that. I just want you to think about the question. And to help eliminate any of the distractions that may be going on around you, to help you focus a little bit better, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, take a deep breath or two, and start thinking about who Jesus is to you. All right, everybody got your eyes closed? Everybody ready to go? Here's the first question. And it's a pretty easy one because you've probably thought about it a lot in the past. What does Jesus look like to you? What does Jesus look like when you picture Jesus? Does he have a thick beard that's protruding from his face? Does he have long hair that is hanging down past his shoulders? Does his hair blow in the breeze when the wind goes by? What's he wearing? Does Jesus have on that tunic and robe? And have his clothes been faded by the harsh sun of the Middle East? What color is Jesus' skin? What color is his hair? What color are his eyes? Now imagine his hands. What do his hands look like? Are Jesus' hands rough and calloused? Or are they as smooth as a baby's behind? How tall is Jesus in your imagination? Is Jesus robust and jovial when you picture him? Is he lean and athletic in build? Is he skinny and frail? What does Jesus look like to you? All right, now I want you to imagine that Jesus is going to do something. And whatever it is that you're, you're thinking about, whatever activity or action he's going to do is going to tell you a lot about who you think Jesus is. So if you can only picture Jesus doing one thing, what do you picture Jesus doing? Do you imagine him taking up his cross and going to that horrid place that we call Golgotha? Or do you imagine him sitting down with his disciples around a table, breaking bread and passing the cup? Do you imagine him reaching out to help a disabled woman, helping her stand and be healed? Or do you imagine him sitting by a bedside, comforting an old man in the final moments of his life? Do you imagine Jesus kneeling down to speak with a small child, or maybe you picture him sitting around a campfire with his disciples, telling jokes and laughing out loud. You imagine Jesus with his arms wrapped around a young woman who just miscarried her first child. Or do you picture Jesus walking out of a borrowed tomb, 
because he's alive. What one thing do you picture Jesus doing? Now I want you to imagine that Jesus is going to whisper something in your ear. Whatever it is he's about to whisper in your ear is going to summarize all of his teachings in a single word or phrase or sentence. So what would Jesus say to you? Would Jesus speak words of judgment and condemnation? Or would he speak words of mercy and grace? Would Jesus recite to you the Ten Commandments? Or would Jesus say that the greatest commandment is to love your God? Would Jesus focus in on spiritual matters when he speaks to you? Or would he talk about social concerns? Would Jesus tell you to feed the hungry? Or would Jesus tell you to feed his sheep? If Jesus were to summarize all of his teachings in just a word or phrase or sentence, what do you imagine that Jesus would say to you? All right, now you've been sitting inside of this warm sanctuary with your eyes closed for a few minutes now. So before you nod off, go ahead and open up your eyes. You may need to nudge your neighbor with an elbow to make sure that they're still awake too. But just because your eyes are open, don't lose sight of what I just had you focus on. Remember that image. Remember how you pictured Jesus. But of course, the reality is that's probably not that hard of a thing for you to do. After all, you have been coming to church, many of us, for years, uh, if not decades of our lives. So you probably feel like you know a whole lot about who Jesus is already. Why? Why do we feel like we already know a whole lot about who Jesus is? Well, we've heard the stories about Jesus over and over again. We know the stories about Jesus' birth, and we know the stories about his baptism. We know the stories of Jesus' ministry, and we know the stories of the miracles that he performed. We know the stories of his crucifixion, and we know the story of his resurrection. We've heard these stories so many times before that deep down inside we feel like we know who Jesus is better than we even know the back of our own hands. But more often, and more often than not, we feel like Jesus really isn't that different than we are when we think about Jesus. When we imagine what Jesus looks like and the things that Jesus would do, we find that Jesus tends to look a little bit like we do, except for maybe the long hair and the big bushy beard. And when we think about the things that Jesus would do, we find that Jesus would probably like the same stories that we like. We think that Jesus would probably watch the same TV shows that we watch. We think that Jesus would probably listen to the same music that we listen to. We think that Jesus would probably read the same books that we like to read. We think that Jesus would laugh at the same jokes that we laugh at. And we think that Jesus would vote for the same politicians that we vote for. When we think about who Jesus is, we think Jesus is just like us. When we think about who Jesus is, we tend to think that Jesus is just like us. But, whenever I start feeling like Jesus is just like me, I have a habit of, of running into something unexpected. I have a habit of running into things that I don't expect and it may happen when I'm sitting down and I'm reading my Bible and I run across a story or a verse that just doesn't seem to fit with the way that I've pictured Jesus in my mind. Or maybe it happens when I'm inside of one of my small group discussions and somebody points out something in one of the gospel stories 
about Jesus that I've never noticed before. Maybe it happens for you when you're sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning and you're listening attentively to a sermon when I don't ask you to close your eyes so that you fall asleep during church and the preacher tells you a story that you've never really paid attention to before. But when it happens, it happens all of a sudden. And because of a couple of verses or an unfamiliar story, the ideas that we have about who Jesus is are shaken. The, the Jesus that we thought we knew isn't just like us anymore. So we're forced to do one of two things. We either have to ignore the verses or stories that we've just heard and continue to think about Jesus the way that we always have, or we have to reimagine who Jesus really is. Now i got to tell you, there are times when I feel like I have spent my whole life studying who Jesus is. I was literally in church the Sunday after I was born, and I can count on one hand the number of services that I missed when I was a kid in church. When I left home and I went off to college, I went to Georgetown College, where I earned my bachelor's degree in religion. So I studied religion for four years of my life, and I didn't quit there because after I graduated college, college, I went on to seminary at the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky where I earned my Master's Divinity of degree, and I spent five more years studying who Jesus is there. And then during the course of my ministry that's been going on for over 11 years now, I have preached hundreds of sermons where I've talked about Jesus, and I've led just as many Bible studies about him too. So with all of that time that I spent in churches and in classrooms and up on a stage behind a pulpit or teaching, it seems like I've studied Jesus from every possible angle. So there are times. There are times in my life when I feel like I know exactly who Jesus is. But then I still run across passages that remind me that I have a lot to learn. This morning's scripture reading is one of those kind of passages. And even though I've read it dozens, if not hundreds of times, it still shakes me up whenever I read it. So go ahead and grab your Bible, whether you've got a printed one like mine or an app on your phone, and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Now in Matthew chapter 5, this is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is the longest and most in-depth sermon that Jesus is going to preach, that we have recorded anywhere in the Bible. And inside of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus seems to touch on almost every area of life, and he has a habit of challenging what we've always been led to believe about how the world works. And we jump right into the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew 5, verse 1. So let's read together what Jesus has to teach. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And this is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who were persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. 
of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before me. Now, I realize there's a pretty good chance that you've heard this passage of Scripture before, and maybe you've heard it more times than you can even begin to remember or possibly count. This passage of Scripture is one of the most familiar passages of Scripture for us. It's every bit as familiar to us as the Ten Commandments or things like that. So why is it that this familiar passage, a passage that we commonly call the Beatitudes, always seems to challenge me and my ideas of who Jesus is. Well, the problem that you may have in seeing why this passage challenges me is that this passage of Scripture is too familiar to you. This passage of Scripture is so familiar to us that we no longer really listen to this passage of Scripture. We have heard it so many times that we know what it says, even though we really don't. So let me challenge you this morning to listen again with fresh ears. Imagine that you have never heard these words before. Maybe then you'll see why they are so challenging to us. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Did you notice how different this passage of Scripture sounds that time? How challenging these Beatitudes really are. Because for me, no matter how many times I hear them, they always sound so strange and out of place, and they always force me to think about what Jesus is really saying here. He starts out by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you thought anyone who is described as poor is blessed? Even if it's in spirit. And maybe it's that phrase, the poor in spirit, that catches us up and throws us off and doesn't let us really focus in on what's being said here. Uh, So so let me try to explain uh, another way what this phrase means. Let me tell you how another few translations convey what Jesus is saying here. Uh, In the message, the message says, you are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. The Common English Bible says, happy are those who are helpless. Now tell me this. Do you really want to feel like you're at the end of your rope? Do you really want to feel like you are hopeless? But these are the people 
that Jesus says are blessed. Wishing that you were hopeless, wishing that you were at the end of your rope is kind of like wishing you were the main character in a country music song where your wife has left you, your dogs run off, and your truck won't run at all. Nobody wants that. That's not what we want in life. But Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Or like I said at the beginning of this service, those who are poor in spirit are favored by God. Now Jesus doesn't stop with the poor in spirit. He goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. Now when was the last time that you saw somebody that was mourning and thought, boy, I really wish I could trade places with them. They are so lucky that they're mourning. I wish, I wish I could be in the place that they are. Now it doesn't matter if they're mourning the loss of a loved one, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, or something else altogether. Has anyone in this place ever wished that you could trade places with a mourner? No. And that's just the beginning. Jesus goes on to proclaim blessings for the meek, the hungry, the merciful, the pure of heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. But when was the last time we saw any of these things as being blessings? The truth is we don't call the poor blessed. We call the rich blessed. We don't call mourners blessed. We call people who have something to celebrate blessed. We don't call the meek blessed because we know it's the proud and the arrogant who really reap rewards in our world today. We know that in the world that we live in, the hungry go hungry while the rich overindulge. We know that the merciful are the ones who get walked all over by the hard-hearted who are trying to succeed. We know that the pure of heart are a punchline of naivety in our world because our culture celebrates those who are engaged in hedonism and vice. We know that the peacemakers in this world are often silenced and killed by the warmongers who profit off of violence. We know that the persecuted will remain oppressed because the world is filled with little justice for those who suffer the most. That's just the way the world is. And we've all learned these lessons along the way in our lives. We've all learned the lesson that only the strong survive. We've all learned the lesson that you got to look out for number one. We've all learned the lesson that it doesn't matter who you climb on on your way to the top as long as you make it to the top. But these aren't the ways of God. These aren't the ways of God. God's values are different than our values. Where we see blessings, God sees curses. And where we see curses, God sees blessings. And I don't know why that is. I still can't make sense out of why Jesus calls all of these people that we would never think of as being favored by God, the ones who are. Maybe it's because those who have the least realize that they're the ones who need God the most. Or maybe it's because those who have had it the hardest in life know that they can't make it on their own, so they have to rely on God more. But whatever it is, for whatever reason, why Jesus says that these are the people who are blessed and favored by God, all of us, all of us need to realize that we don't have God figured out. We don't have God figured out. It's time that we admit once and for all that Jesus is not like us. God is not like us. Do you know who God is like? God is like God. 
And we are supposed to be becoming more like God, not the other way around. So let's stop trying to make Jesus just like us, and let's start making ourselves more like him. Let's stop trying to make Jesus just like us, and let's focus on making ourselves more like him. Let's spend time thinking about why Jesus says it's those who are hopeless and at the end of their rope who are blessed by God. Why Jesus says the mourners are blessed, the meek are blessed, the hunger, the hungry are blessed, the merciful are blessed, the pure in heart are blessed, the peacemakers are blessed, the persecuted are blessed. Let's see. Try to understand why God sees the world so differently than we do. Because ultimately, we don't live in this world. We are children of God. And we exist and live in the kingdom of God, so we're not supposed to be like the world around us. We are supposed to be becoming more like Jesus. But we will never become more like Jesus if we keep thinking that Jesus is always going to be just like us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the time that we've had this morning to think about this passage at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that we call the Beatitudes, God, because they are a great reminder for us that you don't see the world the same way that we do. God, we need to be reminded of that because, yes, when we think about you, when we think about your Son, we try to make Jesus in our image. We try to think that Jesus looks like us, that he talks like us, that he walks like us, that he likes the same things that we like. But God, we're not supposed to be making Jesus like us. We're supposed to be making ourselves more like him. So God, my prayer this morning is that you open up our hearts to all of these that you have called blessed. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who are persecuted. Those who are meek. Those who suffer in this world, God. Open our hearts so that we can see them and discover why you love them. And God, never stop your work of making us more like you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey there, it's Adam again, and thanks for listening to this week's sermon podcast. We hope that it's challenged you, that it's encouraged you, and most of all, that it's helped you grow closer to God. And if it's done that, let me encourage you to do a couple of things real quick. The first thing I want to ask you to do is to just go ahead and subscribe to our podcast in your favorite podcasting app. That way, when we release a new episode every Tuesday, it gets sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And while you're in there, go ahead and leave us a review. Your reviews mean a whole lot, and they help us get the word out to other people about this podcast and it'll help them grow closer in their relationship with God as well. So once again, thanks for tuning in this week and listening to this sermon and we will see you next Tuesday.